This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm really good with names. Everyone knows that. (laughs) They do not. Welcome to Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. I'm Stacey Kulo, and we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season five, episode 17 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayers forever. As well as Gilmore Girls, Pulp Friction. That sounds like a porno title. Mm, it's a little sexy. Yeah. This is a close one, Brian. Yeah, it is close. Gilmore's pretty funny. Yeah, and Buffy's got some heavy, heavy stuff. So it's like uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it's hard to compare the two. There is some heavy stuff in Gilmore, but not heavy, heavy, just dramatic, uh, some drama. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid Gilmore, but a, a heavy Buffy, so we'll have to talk through it. We've been watching a lot of other TV recently. Yeah, we just binged Stranger Things, but before that we binged Dark. Yeah, we just finished the end of Stranger Things. We are recording this the day after the last part of season four was released. But yeah, before that, we watched the Netflix television series called Dark. Let us know if you're familiar. I I feel like we have mixed opinions. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't like it. Then I liked it again. Then I didn't like it. And now I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, we were definitely like sucked in, but it started to get a little samey in season one. There's three seasons. It's German. Which is great, by the way, if it's like summer and your air has to be on and you're like, I can't fucking hear any of the dialogue. Doesn't matter. You're going to be reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like it when we couldn't hear it at all because you want to hear the actors. But like, yeah, it didn't really matter if we didn't catch every little word. But yeah, it's it's three seasons long. You pretty quickly realize it's involves time travel. And it handles time travel very well, I would say. Yeah. And we found out that the whole show was planned out. Like it wasn't like they were trying to figure things out as they went. They had a plan, so I think that makes it better. But I feel like it peaked in season two for me. For me as well, yeah. Yeah, we were like we're really into season two. And then season three they just like added some more layers and it got pretty complicated. Um, it is nothing like Buffy or Gilmore Girls. No, it is. It's pretty dark. Like no one ever has a good day. Yeah, and if someone starts to have a good day, that's not good because something bad's gonna happen to them. But it's nice if you like sci-fi. I've heard people compare it to Stranger Things, but I don't really get that. No, I don't really think it's comparable to Stranger Things. It's honestly. about like supernatural things happening in a small town, but that's about it. Yeah, and kind of kids are the main characters, like teenagers. Yeah, but it's good. Very impressive casting and ensemble piece. Let us know what you thought if you watched it. We got some five-star reviews. Nice. Thank you so much to Kher89. And thank you so much to Married Guy. It's not spelled like you'd think, so I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced. And thank you so much to Man in Rio 18, all the way from France. Yeah, thank you. It might be our first French review. It was in English, but the, the, the reviewer is from France. Well, this week, guys, we started with Buffy. So, Stacy, please tell us all about Forever. This episode is about the aftermath of Joyce's death and how everyone is processing it. And Dawn's not processing it well. No. That's mostly what it's about. Dawn's method of processing. So Buffy is in full funeral planning mode. 
It starts with her picking out a coffin for her mom. It's very ominous. Like, there's going to be a vampire in a coffin or something. And the mortician is very weird. Like, Buffy's chosen one. He's all like, a fine choice. It speaks of your deep feelings for the deceased. It's just, like, such an empty thing to say that, like, kind of sounds nice. I don't know. I got weird vibes from him. He's trying to sell coffins, boo. She's going to buy one. Yeah. You don't have to comment on it. Dawn, who's rocking some fishtail braids, isn't so sure about Buffy's coffin choice. Buffy's like, yeah, we're going with my coffin, though. Sorry, Tails. <laughs> Calls her Tails. It's clear Dawn isn't happy. When is Dawn happy? That's, I mean. Ice cream, Xander, those things make her happy. <laughs> She's got a lot going on, man. She does. That is fair. Back at home, the OG Scoobies have gathered to do some more planning for the funeral. Dawn's also questioning the color of the flowers, the lack of a wake, even though Joyce requested not to have one. Apparently, Buffy and Joyce had like a secret funeral planning talk before she had her operation, which Dawn wasn't privy to. They mentioned they can't seem to reach Buffy's dad. I wondered about that. I was like, is he going to show up at the funeral? Someone should probably tell him. He's checked out. He's got a lot to do. Yeah, his secretary in Spain. (laughs) Yeah. I have a weird idea. Okay. We don't know. Like, probably her, her dad is just garbage, right? But, like, what if the monks were like, listen, having another guy with memories of Dawn coming back, it's going to be confusing. Like, let's just have him and some woman, like, run away together and we'll give them fake memories of falling in love so that they're just out of the picture. Well, I was actually wondering, does Angel know about Dawn? Because, like, Buffy brings Dawn up to him. Spoilers, Angel's going to be here. What? <laughs> I was just waiting for a moment where Angel's like, wait, who? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think anybody who has any kind of contact with anyone with fake memories also has fake memories. Yeah. Dawn's upset about all of this. She asks what they're going to do after the burial, and she doesn't like the idea of coming back to the house and asks if she can stay at Willow's place. So Willow agrees Dawn can come if she wants to. I don't know why she wants to sleep with that. I guess maybe she doesn't want to be at her house. Yeah, I think she's just not ready to be home alone without Joyce yet. But, like, yeah. can she just, like, stay in Willow's dorm? It's a dorm. Yeah, I mean, I've, I don't think they have people peeking in there every day be like, you got any kids sleeping in here? Yeah, I mean, I probably could have, like, housed my sister for a night, but it's not Willow's sister. It's just like a yeah. random child. Well, it's not a random child either. It's a uh, ball of energy. When Willow and Xander leave, Spike is walking up to the house with some flowers. They reprimand him for trying to get with Buffy at a time like this. And he's like, I'm not here for Buffy. These flowers are for Joyce. He says he liked her. She was nice. She made him tea and she didn't treat him like a freak. No, he says cocoa, I think. No, he says, I forget exactly what he says, but he says a cuppa. Yes. C-U-P-P-A, which is a slang for cup of tea. I see. She has made him cocoa in the past. We saw that. So I assume that's what cuppa meant. Well, I guess it could just be a cup of whatever. She's always giving him a cup of something. Wait, this episode's already revealed that Joyce is having secret conversations off screen with Buffy. Maybe she was having secret tea cuppas with Spike. Well, they lived together for an evening. Maybe she had some cuppas then. Yeah, right in front of Don. But Xander's not having it. He doesn't believe that Spike's actually there for Joyce. So Spike just drops his flowers on the sidewalk and leaves. But Willow notices that he didn't leave a card. So these probably weren't for Buffy. He was just kind of coming to drop them in memorial of Joyce. Right. I think that is true. I don't know that the lack of card really proves anything. He could have. Right. But I think Giles made it pretty clear that Spike should not keep coming around. Yeah, I think it's also, I feel like it's not possible that he was just like, oh, I feel bad that Joyce is dead. Like, I don't think he feels bad that people die. So what do you think his intention was? I think it's Buffy's going to see that he feels bad for Buffy. Like, I do feel like he has feelings of, like, oh, empathy towards Buffy. They're, like, wrapped into his love, which is the only reason he feels them. 
And he knows that her mother dying was important to her and sad. So he is sad for her because her mother died. But I don't think that she, I don't feel like he has any remorse that even someone he likes would to die. Like he kills people willy nilly. Like, sure. I do still think it's a little bit of a show. I don't care what the show is trying to tell us. It just doesn't make sense otherwise. Do you think that if Willow and Xander hadn't been coming out of the house at that moment, he would have just left the flowers? Or do you think he would have like knocked on the door and said something? I think he might have left flowers. I feel like some of this is like performative, maybe even to himself being like, no, I love Buffy. I left flowers for her mother and I didn't even leave a card. But he did have a relationship with Joyce. Sure. He also had a relationship with other people he's killed. But he could have killed Joyce a bunch of times and didn't. Sure. I mean, then the Slayer would have definitely killed him. Yeah. Also, a lot of monkey references in this scene. Yeah. Spike calls Xander monkey boy, and Xander says that Spike's trying to make Buffy his sex monkey. Just a lot of monkey within, like, one minute. Well, I think that might be intentional, because this episode is, like, kind of based on the monkey's paw idea of, like, you get, well, we'll get there. Oh, I see. I see, I see. I mean, maybe it's not intentional, but it seems, like, pretty, yeah, we'll see. We see the burial. Buffy's wearing a pink coat. It's interesting, because everyone's mostly wearing dark colors. Well, she's a summer. That's very funny. Is it? Isn't that like what you say about women? Uh, like their color palette? It's like, oh, she's like a summer. Like she's like summer colors. Um, I don't know that this is a thing, but I don't know that much about women. But her name. <laughs> you, you would know. <laughs> well, I know a lot about women. So, uh, but she's also Buffy Summers. Anyway, forget this. <laughs> Are we ever going to see the guy Joyce went on a date with? That guy's probably traumatized. No one's told him. Either he just is like, why isn't she calling me back? Or he's like, I killed this woman. <laughs> Maybe he did. Those flowers were too much. Yeah, we don't know what they what they did. He might have had sex with her so good, it just tuckered her right out. Okay. I'm trying to say it in the nicest way possible. Tuckered her out? <laughs> is this all bad? What? I mean, you just said that Joyce got fucked to death, but no. No, I said it in <laughs> a nice fine. way. Brian, why is this weird? Well, I mean, yeah, it's fine. After the burial, Dawn is ready to go. Buffy wants to stay, though. She kind of just stares at the grave until it gets dark. And then Angel appears. They hold hands. He says he's sorry he couldn't come sooner. I'm guessing he means because of the sun. But do you think she knew he was coming and she was waiting for him? Or maybe hoped he would come and was waiting for him? Or just, like, couldn't move and he happened to arrive while she I was... I think, like, a phone call happened. Because she just sits there for all day. Her friends would have been like, are you all right? Yeah. So they snuggle up and talk under a tree. Buffy says she's worried about tomorrow, because up until now, she's had funeral planning to focus on, and tomorrow she's got to start going back to normal life, but she's never done normal life without a mom, and it's especially hard because she's got to look out for Dawn now. Yeah. She keeps second-guessing what might have happened if she'd gotten there sooner, because the medical professionals all said it probably wouldn't have made a difference if she'd gotten there sooner, but she's like, maybe it would have. Angel reassures her she'll find a way. She's got people who will help her, but Buffy's not so sure. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen the show Angel, we should maybe give a little update on what he's been up to. So again, skip ahead 30 seconds or so if you don't want to know. But basically, he's been having like a little meltdown where he's kind of over being good and hasn't like gone evil, but has sort of just like given up on doing things the nice way and has kind of like disowned his friends and is just like doing his own thing in kind of slightly bad ways, I guess. Without going into detail is the best way to explain that. But a recent episode ended with him having sex with Darla. 
it actually ends on a cliffhanger. Like you think his curse is going to be lifted, but it turns out, no, he just had like an epiphany by having sex with Darla and he wants to be a nice boy again and try to like make amends with his friends and help people again. He wasn't in love with Darla like he was with Buffy. So that's why it was different. Right. Also, surprise, Darla's alive, if you're not yeah. following Angel. She's back. She's a vampire. Uh, she's around for now. Yeah, so Angel's just kind of recently come back to being his old self. Just in time to console Buffy, which is nice. Does he, like, mention to her that he just had, like, wild, passionate sex with Darla all night long? <laughs> like, two days ago? <laughs> Why? What do you mean, does he mention? Why would he mention that? They didn't say no. I guess they're kind of a Roy Logan situation where it's no strings attached. They're not even together anymore. She but just, they make out. She had another boyfriend. She's had a couple boyfriends since he broke up with her. I know, but they're like cuddling and it's all like, maybe. What is he going to turn on? Hey, by the way, I just had some like crazy good sex with this girl who's like real good at it, by the way. Uh, we've, looks we've a lot had like sex you. for hundreds of years. She knows everything I'm into. I know you and I only had sex one time and it was bad. I mean, it was good, but then it got bad. Yeah, but hers was so good. Anyway, uh, I'm fine. I didn't think he actually told her. It's just, it's funny to think that he like just got done with that and then went to see Buffy. <laughs> that was longer than 30 seconds probably, but he tells her that he can stay in town as long as she wants him to. And she's like, well, does forever work for you? She knows that's not a good idea. They they kiss. Their little music plays. It's really nice. It is nice. You know what? I don't care about the haters. I think Angel and Buffy are like a really beautiful love. Yeah. And I have no problem with her dating other people, other shippers out there. But I, I like them together. They love each other. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I like that he's there for her in this in this time. But I'm glad they don't just like get back together because they have yeah. a whole series of episodes where they discuss why they couldn't be together. I like the idea of him being like, we might be able to have sex. I don't know. I just did and it was fine. Uh, maybe we try? Yeah, I wondered if that's what he was saying. Because she said something about like being needy. And he's like, I can handle needy. Let me deal with it. I'm like, does that mean you think you can handle sex now? Maybe. That's definitely not what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, maybe don't test that theory, though. Also, that's not what needy means. If a girl's like, this girl's super needy. Awesome. Fuck Yeah. My girlfriend's so needy. I love it. Well, I don't know women. <laughs> Regardless, they realize that no good can come from this. So Buffy tells him she's happy he was here, but it's getting light soon. Neither of them really want to leave. So they just cuddle until the last second, I imagine. There's like a scene where she puts her coat over him so she can lead him to a car or however he got there. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, what happens? Is he just going to go hide in a cave until next night? And he drives back? He can't drive home like that. Spikes it's almost like, can I stay at your house, maybe? I mean, maybe yeah. you get a, a hotel or something. I don't know. Xander and Anya are celebrating Joyce by having some great sex of their own. Anya's work was very much inspired by Joyce's death. Anya's work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's very needy because of Joyce's death. She now understands that sex is about life and being part of something bigger, not just about smooshing. It seemed like she maybe wanted to have a baby, but she reassures Xander that's not it. She just, like, likes that they could have a baby. Like, she thinks that's beautiful. Sweet, I guess. Also during the night, Ben runs into one of Glory's minions outside the hospital. He's like, tell my sister I'm tired of running into her Jawa rejects. <laughs> that that's pretty funny. That's exactly what this little dude is. Yeah. That's a Star Wars reference if you need to know what a Jawa is. He's there to tell Ben that Glory wants him to keep trying to court Buffy because time is running short. And him dating Buffy might be a good way to get information about the key. And every moment that Ben fights Glory, he's only fighting against himself. But Ben doesn't care. He doesn't 
want to help Glory find the key. He would never do that to an innocent, uh-oh, that's not an adjective you'd use to describe an inanimate object. So Jinx is like, okay, tell me more about this innocent so-and-so. And then Ben just keeps going. He's like, no, no, when I said innocent, I didn't mean it was a person. I'm not saying it's Dawn, bro. Just chill out. <laughs> yeah. And the minion's just like, yeah, totally, totally. I'm chill, bro. Secret safe with me. Just keep telling me more things. Let's process this together. So Ben steals dude's knife and stabs him with it. Not enough, I guess, because he ends up going to glory with his information later. Jawas can take a stab. I think Ben just like leaves, though. I was like, no, if you don't want this information, like make sure he's dead. Aren't you a doctor? <laughs> That's true. I don't know. He's not a Jawa doctor. I guess he's an intern. Yeah, he doesn't know bodies. Also this night, back at Willow's dorm, Dawn's not doing great. Willow and Tara are trying to comfort her, but she's like, yeah, I'm not interested in your words. I want to do a spell to bring my mom back from the dead. Tara's like, yeah, that's not possible. You can't use magic to mess with the natural order of things. Dawn's like, you do it all the time. And I'm kind of with Dawn here. Like, the laws of magic seem to vary based on what the plot needs. Yeah, it's very true. Like, Tara says they don't mess with life and death. And they can't alter the fabric of life for selfish reasons. But she says that Wiccans took an oath a long time ago to honor this. But at the end of season four, they conjured a dead slayer to defeat yeah. Adam. I guess you could argue that maybe wasn't a selfish reason. They were trying to save the world. They also didn't bring her back to life. They sort of just like said hello to her spirit. I'm sure there's other examples, though, where they mess with life and death. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that's it's all true, but. It does seem like whenever something seems like it would be too powerful, they're like, no, we can't because of reason. Yeah, like the teleportation spell. They spent like the next episode being like, Willow's getting headaches and nosebleeds, so we can't just willy-nilly use that spell all the time. Yeah, or they couldn't like heal Buffy's mom. Right. But I bet they've like used magic to heal someone. What I will agree with is that the spell, when you can use magic and what the rules of magic are, do seem to fluctuate a bit in the show. Willow's being the cool, irresponsible aunt this whole episode. She's like, I'm not even sure it's possible, Dawn. I mean, people have done it, and it's written about. It's generally not good, but, like, you could do it. I don't know. I, I would do it. <laughs> Tara's like, no, we're not going to do it. So Dawn slams herself into bed, which is just the floor. She just, like, flops down hard like <laughs> a fat fish under her sleeping bag. You see a lot of fat fish. You always see them slapping down. She just, like, threw herself down so hard. I'm like, that's the ground, girl. <laughs> sleeping bag's not thick. Mm, okay. <laughs> The next morning, Willow's kind of like, so, Dawn, you, like, live here now, or <laughs> we gotta, like, go to class? Dawn's, like, super annoyed with Willow and Tara. She says that Giles is coming to get her later, and she might not be there when they get back. So Willow's on her way out, but she uses magic to slide a book out a little bit off the shelf, which I don't think Dawn actually sees happen. If she's supposed to, the edit is bad. Because she's not looking in the shot where Willow does it. She's like sitting upright, staring down at her hands. Mm -hmm. But as soon as Willow leaves, it cuts to a shot of Dawn kind of like leaned back on her sleeping bag more, facing the bookshelf, positioned in a way that looks like she might have seen it happen. It's like a strange continuity cut. Mm -hmm. Either way, she does notice the book. Willow, what are you doing? Tara, control your woman. <laughs> I didn't say it. The book is called History of Witchcraft. And she finds a chapter on resurrection and knows what she needs to do. So later, she's at the magic shop pretending to dust so she can look for more books. Anya doesn't like that Dawn's helping. I think she's worried about her own job. So she suggests Dawn play with the chicken feet. What is going on with the chicken feet? Why do they have so many of them? What are they for? It's like basic spells. You need to start with chicken's feet and then other things. 
Giles is so dumb in the scene. Dawn is like, so I just want to double check where all the dangerous off-limits books are, you know, so that I don't touch them. And Giles is like, oh, of course. They're just here, here, and here. Pip, pip. Yeah, he puts too much information out there. Then he just leaves the room. I'm not sure where he goes. There's a door kind of behind the cash register area that I've never seen anyone use before. Mm -hmm. It's like not the back room. It's like a side room. And Anya's distracted by a customer, so Dawn takes her backpack upstairs to the restricted area and just starts loading up without really even looking that hard at the titles. And she grabs a random piece of glassware that she seems confident is the right thing. I don't think we ever actually see what that is, but she sneaks back down without anyone noticing. It was quite a risky little mission she went on. Yeah. Later that night, Giles is at home, remembering Joyce in his own way having a drink, listening to some music. And I'm so happy one of our listeners pointed out that the song he's listening to is the same song that he and Joyce listened to at his apartment in Band Candy. Yeah, which is nice. He, like, Giles is awesome, right? Like, he obviously was affected by Joyce's death, but he needed to be the adult in the room Mm -hmm. when Buffy needed him. And so he took care of all the paperwork and all that stuff, and he just, like, was like, I'm going to grieve when it's appropriate like when there's time and i think i just love that about giles man he was like he did what he had to do to take care of buffy and when he was able to get home he poured himself a drink and then he grieved i loved that i love the attention to detail they had here yeah and it's such a short little scene too with like a easter egg almost yeah like i doubt anyone caught that on the first time through the show unless someone was like binging old seasons somehow that they had taped Mm. you know like i wouldn't have remembered what song they were listening to in band candy by the way, the song is called Tales of Brave Ulysses by Cream. It's just, that's it. It's just him listening to the song. It's like 10 seconds. Yeah. Uh, you may hear fireworks, by the way. Yeah, it's um, July 2nd, and New York pretty much does fireworks constantly, like the week yeah. of the 4th of July. Yep. Meanwhile, Dawn has gone to the graveyard. She's collecting dirt from her mom's grave, and Spike pops up behind her. He's like, you better not be trying to make a zombie, girl. She denies it, and he's like, oh, yes, you are. I recognize that book you're using. And I want to help you. So he's going to take her to this guy he's heard of in town who knows everything about resurrection spells. This is where Spike's motivations are a little unclear. And Don calls him out on it. Like, is he doing this for Joyce or to impress Buffy? I think it's to impress Buffy. Because he tells Don never to tell Buffy. And he says he's doing it because he doesn't like to see Summer's women having a hard time. That's all bullshit. I mean, he says don't tell Buffy it helps you because one, if this fails, she doesn't find out he like did this weird dangerous spell with her sister. But if it works and Joyce comes back from the dead, he can then take credit for it. Yeah. It's just like there's at least a 50% chance this goes badly and he knows that. Yeah. But yeah, I guess if it all goes well, maybe Buffy will be happy, but Buffy could also be super pissed if he like starts a zombie apocalypse led by her mom. Right. In that case, he probably wouldn't come forward and say he helped. But if Joyce comes back and Buffy's like, oh, my God, my mom is back. Yeah. She's not going to be sad that her mom is back if she's normal. Are we going to circle back to sex bot? When's that happening? No, I think that was sort of like a red herring. Okay. There's no Buffy bot. Just so it's clear to the audience, I don't believe you. Glory is mad because Jinx should have been back hours ago. As mentioned, Ben stabbed him, so he's not doing great, but he does return. And Glory's very upset that Ben got to him. So she starts just like ripping out her hair. <laughs> that was cool. She's strong. It was like painful to watch, but also like, I know it's fake. They just have like fake parts that she could rip out easily. It's not a big deal, but it was like, ah, no, ow. Yeah. And Jinx is like, dude, chill. Ben highly implied that the key is a person. This is good. Okay. Well, J- Jinx does not have that attitude. Jinx is not like, hey, chill, lady. Jinx would wipe her butt and frame the poop like he loves her (laughs) 
I know, but he also isn't like, oh, I'm in pain. Like, he's he's pretty calm. No, my he doesn't tell her to chill. Fair. But she's very excited. This narrows things down quite a bit. And apparently whenever creatures of Jinx's species get stabbed, they lose the ability to formulate compliments for Glory. They always have, like, <laughs> such grandiloquent terms for her. But now he's calling her, like, highest you and yeah. good one. Yeah, good <laughs> it's, like, one. struggling. She's even like, it's fine. You're dying. I forgive you. Someone get him fixed. I want to hear his story again with all, all the annoying moaning. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny, actually, I thought, because she, like, doesn't comment on it for a long time. But then she, after a while, she's like, you know what? I'm in such a good mood. I'm not even going to be mad at you for those terrible... <laughs> <laughs> monikers you gave me spike and don show up at doc's place this feels like a set we've probably seen before just redecorated a little i don't know it's all familiar doc who's doc well he's a dude he's got a black cat that's just walking around don says the place smells like grandpa and then academy award-winning actor joel gray father of jennifer gray who i noticed at the top of the show because he got a special credit pops out you know jennifer gray from dirty dancing yeah Totally. And you know Joel Gray's body of work? Yeah, he was. He plays Doc on Buffy and other stuff. If I'm being honest, I know him best from an episode of Star Trek Voyager. From Star Trek Voyager? Yeah, in fact, he plays like a similar character. He's like sort of a, a, a little old man that many people believe to be crazy. But huh. he, he's like on an alien planet and he like helps Janeway out of some shit. Anyway, he's also the Wizard of Oz in the original production of Wicked. Oh, interesting. And fun fact, last week I mentioned the Yiddish production of Fiddler on the Roof that was going on in New York. Yeah, you just mentioned it. My coworker was the wife in it. He directed that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so he's he's all up in our business. Our business being Star Trek Voyager, Wicked, and my friend being in Fiddler on the Roof. And Buffy. You have no idea how much of our business that actually is. And his daughter was in Dirty Dancing, which Emily was in. Emily Gilmore, the actor. Interesting. Wow. Who plays her. Kelly Bishop. You'd be great at conspiracy theories. Thank you. He insists he knows Spike. He thinks he's seen him at the corner market playing dominoes. And despite being a vampire with a totally different color hair, he could swear he's the same guy. This is interesting, though, because it tells us that this guy can sense that Spike is a vampire. Yeah, it does. That's interesting. Dawn's like, yeah, this, this guy's crazy. I want to go. And even he is like, yeah, I'm crazy. The lights are dim, but the juice isn't gone. <laughs> How can I help you? They let him know that Dawn's trying to bring back her mom. He's like, yeah, you don't really want to mess with that stuff if neither of you are, like, experienced witches. And then he yanks some hair from Dawn's head and looks at it for a second. He's like, well, your mom's a good candidate. She's got strong DNA. What? What is... Is Dawn's hair Joyce's DNA? Like, how far do the monks take this? Does she have DNA? Dawn should maybe know not to trust her hair sample as a spell ingredient. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%, especially on the idea that like she should assume that she might not be human. But I can tell you that she 100% has Summer's DNA. She is made from her mother. Okay, but she does not know that. So she could be making like a zombie that's a ball of energy right now. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. This episode is pretty good, but I think, and I know Dawn's like stressed out. She's got so much going on that's bad, but it just seemed insane that she like was not considering the possibility that this could very likely go badly. Yeah. Everyone's telling her that. She kind of explains it later. She's just like, I just want my mom. I don't care. But like, I don't know. It's just like not a good chance it's going to be your mom exactly as she was. No, I completely agree with you, but we have to remember that, like, Dawn has had her whole fucking reality blown away in the last, like, couple of weeks. Like, yeah. she's like, oh, you're not even real. So it's sort of like, what are the risks? Like, I'm not even a human. Like, everything I thought is real isn't real. I'm, like, a couple of weeks old. Like, 
I bring my mom back as a zombie, whatever. I might not be a human in a week. So this is a completely reckless and irresponsible spell. I agree with you. But like, I kind of see that she's like a young, dumb, totally traumatized kid who's like mentally unstable right now. Yeah. So Doc goes bumbling about, humming a tune, looking for books, wagging his tail. Normal stuff. (laughs) You said bumbling, but he seems almost like glide around. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Spike's just smoking a cigarette. Spike, what are you doing? You're supposed to be the guardian. There's so many red flags happening. Get, get, pull the mission. This is abort. <laughs> Every single thing this man says is a red flag. Doc says that she needs an egg from Agora Demon to do the spell she's been working on, and she's got to steal the eggs from its nest. Tells her how to do the spell. He says she needs an image of her mom and says it might take a while, but Joyce will come if the spell goes correctly. But he can't promise that she'll come back exactly the way she was. This is very ominous. But like, no shit. I, I wouldn't even entertain messing with this. Yeah, not at all. He tells her if anything goes wrong, the only way to reverse the spell is to destroy the image. Good to know. He tells them where in the sewer the Gora lives. Dawn tries to pay him. He's like, no, that's okay. And he shakes her hand, tells her to keep in touch, let him know how it goes. And then his eyes turn black and he kind of growls. Dawn pulls her hand away, frightened. Again, Spike, where are you, buddy? He's just like <laughs> staring at the ground, not watching any of this. He trusts that, man. He's no man. They find the Gore Demon's hideout. Spike insists Dawn stay back. He'll go in and get it. She's like, no, you need me to grab the egg while you distract it. Spike's like, huh, a bitty Buffy. I was thinking that too. This whole episode, she's very Nancy Drew, like Buffy. Mm. Yeah. Like, taking charge of the investigation stuff. It. I, I have to say this. I've So far in the episode, I'm down with everything they've shown us and done, and I think it's fine and cool. But this demon fight, this looks terrible. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like a mini Hydra dragon, and it does not look real for any of the seconds it's on screen. Yeah, so it, it's like a three-headed dragon thing. I don't know if it has wings, but it's got like a, like a stegosaurus kind of back situation. Yeah, it's uh, so dumb. It looks so fake. Spike distracts it long enough for Dawn to grab an egg, but she drops it on their way out. He's like, that's fine. Whatever. We're going. She insists on going back for another one. He's like, no, my axe is like stuck in its neck. She goes back anyway. So he fights it unarmed. It like bites him, but they manage to get out with another egg. At this point, I'm like, Joyce isn't coming back. There's not enough show left to bring her back and like deal with that. Well, they could bring her back at the end of the episode and deal with it next episode. That's true. It's like seven minutes left in the show at this point. Yeah. But back at home, Dawn's doing the very dangerous spell all alone, totally safe. Meanwhile, Willow has taken up the hobby of journaling about her breakfast. She's remembering Tara's sunny side up eggs wiggling at her like little boobs. (laughs) Oh yeah, what the fuck? (laughs) Funny line. Yeah. And then Tara happens to notice she's got Willow's bookshelf memorized, apparently, (laughs) that the history of witchcraft is missing. It does sound like something Tara would do. She yeah. would memorize a bookshelf, which is interesting because this is the first time this bookshelf has moved uh, walls. Oh, really? It was somewhere else? Yeah. That doesn't matter. I mean, it's not like an inconsistency because people move furniture. It's just a funny thing that you said that. Probably when people are there and she's bored and checked out of the Scooby conversation, she just like stares at the books. <laughs> I just can't imagine looking over at a bookshelf of my partner's apartment and being like, whoa, a specific book is gone. I mean, I guess maybe, though, to be fair, you would if it was like, here's my book of spells of how to bring someone back to life. And then my brother was spending the night and he was like, I'm really looking for spells and how to bring someone back to life. And then we came back. You might just check to see if that book is there. Yeah. By the way, put a pin in big leather bound book. That's maybe the only connection to Gilmore Girls. It's very light this week, but it could be the one. Willow, you messed up. Tara just keeps saying how bad this is, assuming Dawn took the book. 
Because she could have used it to cross-reference other resurrection spells, which she did. Mm -hmm. Willow's, like, super nervous. She's trying to make it not seem like a big deal. Like, Dawn actually couldn't have done anything, right? She doesn't tell Tara that she helped Dawn notice the book, but she suggests they call Buffy. Buffy's just arriving at home. Where's she been all day? Like, surely she departed Angel that morning when the sun came up. But what was she doing all day? I mean, I guess it's possible they went inside and hung out. Or she slept. It's been a long... But where? That's maybe at his hotel room. And he just, yeah, yeah, I don't know. She gets the call from Willow. She goes upstairs to catch Dawn just finishing the spell. She's like, what have you done? Dawn heads downstairs to wait for Joyce. And luckily, Buffy grabs the photo from the little seance circle. And is like, Dawn, this is stupid. What if she comes back wrong? Dawn's like, she won't. The dude told me she has good DNA. Buffy's like, who's the dude? Stop the spell now. Dawn's like, no. She grabs a photo from Buffy. Dawn doesn't care if Joyce comes back wrong. She says she needs her because, like Buffy, she doesn't have anybody. And then we see Joyce in the graveyard tiptoeing towards the house the whole time they're talking. We see her feet. Yeah, she's not tiptoeing. She's walking. But I only mention that because we don't, the idea is that we don't consider her body because we don't know if she's coming back wrong. Yeah, it's, it's very ominous. It seems maybe not good, but we don't see. It's very like Pet cemetery, and you're kind of like, yeah, she's going to come back, but not good. Dawn tells Buffy it's obvious that she doesn't want her around. And she feels like Buffy doesn't care that Joyce died. She hasn't even cried. You're just treating this like a big chore. Dawn, you're wrong. I know that you haven't seen all the episodes we've seen, but it's like very obvious to us that Buffy 100% cares. She like found your mom, had a whole freak out. Yeah. But Buffy lets her know what's up by slapping her in the face. But then Buffy feels bad for slapping her. She like breaks down. And lets her know that she hasn't been avoiding her. She's just been doing all this work to keep herself busy because she knows when she runs out of tasks, it means that Joyce is really gone. And like admits she doesn't really know what she's doing. She feels like she's got to step into Joyce's role to take care of both of them. And Dawn hasn't really thought that through. Mm-hmm. But Buffy's like admitting she's not really sure that she's ready to handle that or how they're going to get through it. Meanwhile, Joyce is tiptoeing past the front curtain now. Creepy shadow. There's a knock at the door. Joyce is here. Buffy goes to answer. I would look through the peephole first, personally, but... <laughs> yeah. Dawn rips the photo in half, so there's no one there when Buffy opens the door. So we we never got to see if Joyce came back right or wrong, and then Buffy and Dawn just, like, hold each other and cry and collapse to the ground. Which was nice and sweet. Yeah. I don't know if sweet's the word, but, like, emotional. Yeah, they came together. Here's my question. So, like, <laughs> let's say Joyce comes back totally fine, right? Mm-hmm. Ten years later, they're just getting rid of some stuff. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got this old photo. Let's just get rid of this. Uh, Does that kill Joyce? I would say yes. Yeah. But, I mean, who's ripping up photos of alive people? I don't know. I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't give it to her dad's new girlfriend in Spain. She'd probably rip it up. That's interesting. So, Brian, do you think this is a good episode? Yeah, I think it was a good episode. I think it was flawed specifically because of that demon. The show always needs to be like... Here's our obligatory fight scene. Yeah, and Buffy's not doing it this episode. Yeah, but it was just like so cheap looking and chintzy. And because it's cheap and chintzy and the show knows it, they don't want to really show it very much. So the fight scene had no stakes to me. It wasn't intense because they had to keep cutting away. Because it wasn't a vampire, so there were no stakes. Thank you. But I meant there was just like they had to keep cutting away because they couldn't really show the fight scene because it's a fucking dude in a suit like wiggling around. It's It's not scary at all. And you're right, it is such, like, a extra step. Like, the egg they needed could have been anything. Yeah. It could have been, like, a vampire's fingernail, and Spike could have just chipped off one of his little black fingernails. And It just seems like with their formula, like, we have to have some action, and it's like, well, maybe you don't always. Like, I don't know. I 
maybe someone's obsessed with that, but I don't care. Like, I would like there to be some action, but I'd rather it be satisfying and not, like, almost, I would almost say embarrassing. Like, this looks stupid. Yeah. Maybe it didn't look as stupid at the time. I'm not defending it. I, I think this episode had a great beginning and a great end. Like, yes. the scene with Dawn and Buffy was great. Yeah. It was nice to see Angel. But, like, Willow's behavior was kind of unforgivable. Like... <laughs> What yeah, was she I wanna, thinking? I want to point that out too. Like people give Xander shit all the time, which they should. Xander's an idiot who makes dumb, selfish mistakes all the time. But like this is a huge mistake Willow just made. Like why would you do that? Like even if she doesn't think she can get anywhere with it, like no good can come from it. Yeah, especially when your girlfriend's like, hey, maybe don't do that. <laughs> like I don't think it's a good idea. Like it's just going to tease Dawn. Yeah. Like it's not going to satisfy her. Yeah, exactly. At best, she feels annoyed that she can't do these spells. At worst, she tries to do one. Yeah. Especially considering, like you said, that she's the key. Who knows what mystical properties Dawn just, like, has in her body. Yeah. And I get that Dawn is going through something I can't possibly understand. But literally everyone is like, don't do it. Even, like, the magical man with a tail. It just seems crazy that she would try. Like she, Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's like to lose someone like that and, like, want them back so badly you do anything and you don't even care that they're not good. But, like, there's just such a high chance that it will be worse than yeah. just grieving. Or people would be doing this all the time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is, like, a viable thing, which is to be doing it. But I like some of the stuff this is setting up. Like, I feel like Doc's not done. He made some kind of agreement with Don with that handshake in his eyes. I have seen an image of another character's eyes looking the same way. So, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into that. But, like, it seemed like that was something. There's something going on with magic. This character's name is Doc? You also remembered his name. Like, when he showed up on screen, I was like, oh, it's Jill Gray. You're like, it's Doc. So I was like, you, you remember this character. I'm really good with names. Everyone knows that. <laughs> they do not. It's not crazy that I remember this one-off character's name. So it's tricky, because some of this was so good, but I was kind of bothered by some of it. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Do you have anything else to say? No. All right. And now, for a special segment we like to call... Meanwhile, Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed is another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Now, Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile, on Charmed Season 5, Episode 17, Lucky Charmed, leprechauns are being killed by a demon who steals their magic. They helped the Charmed Ones fight the demon by granting them good luck, but things do not work out as planned. Well, we haven't done leprechauns yet, so it seemed like it was time. Just a checklist of shit they haven't done in the show yet. <laughs> I was going to say, these writers just have a list of magical shit on their wall. They're like, we got, we're down to minotaurs and flying fish. So flying fish are a real thing. But they show up looking real stereotypical at the door. And the Charmed Ones are all like, uh, okay, is it cool for you to be on the show? Are we canceled right now? And they're like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's 2001 fine. or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, we'll give you some magic by making you super lucky. And the girls are like, cool. But the whole thing is, is that they're not lucky. And so, like, having luck, they don't know what to do with this. Like, they, they're not used to situations going well. Yeah, they get really distracted by, like, trying to fix all their other problems with this new good luck. Yeah. Like, you know, Piper tries to work on her weird dog marriage, which is, is generally pretty good. But they've been having some problems. Yeah. Like, they get a new... Um, marriage counselor and she's like ah oh, this is never gonna work out and she's the marriage counselor's like yeah probably won't i'm new i used to be a veterinarian and they were like wait what that's quite lucky <laughs> yeah so she's able to give them some good tips yeah what dogs like she's like oh well your husband may just want some more belly rubs than you're currently giving him she's like i didn't even think of that okay thank you 
Is that how she talks? Yeah, you didn't. That's not how you picture her talking I mean, all the time. God, I'm gonna do some magic, whatever. So like their spells are stronger than they should be because they're like, oh, I assumed I would mess it up. I guess I got lucky and did it perfect. And like, so they like blow a door off, they blow some of the houses down because they expected the spell not to be perfect, but it was. Yeah, and they're like, whoa, we're super powerful now, and they just like keep going around town, like trying out magic on different things. Meanwhile, the leprechauns are like, uh, guys, excuse us. Hello, we need your help. This is why you have the powers, remember? They're like, lucky you reminded us. Uh, okay, and then they fight the demon, and it's really easy. Yeah, they just got a, like, standard poof-poof spell. Well, at first it doesn't work, only because they, like, are, once again, they're used to their powers not being that good, and it's, like, too well. So they have to, like, correct for their inherent correcting of their spells, and then they work, and it's great. And then afterwards, uh, they do a big dance. <laughs> it's very stereotypical dance. Yeah. Most of the episode is the leprechauns being frustrated and just like tapping their watches and their little leprechaun shoot feet waiting yeah. for the sisters to help them. But they do. Yeah. It's like a funny one. There's like movie yeah. music throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this has been Meanwhile Uncharted. We just want to take a second now to let you guys know about Summer Water, a very special product from our friends at Wink.com. Summer Water is an award-winning, highly praised dry rosé and one of Wink's top-selling products. It's so well-liked that Wink gave it its own wine club, the Summer Water Societe. Societe members receive 10% off their orders, free shipping, and random surprises included in the delivery. You can order packs of 4, 8, or 12 bottles, including the regular Summer Water rosé, or try their chilled red. It's also available in Summer Water Rosé Droplets, which are fun-sized single-serving bottles. Stay stocked in Rosé for your summer events and all year round. If you're interested, you can sign up using the Summer Water link in our episode description. Then we watch Gilmore Girls. Brian, could you tell us about Pulp Friction? Pulp Friction is about Lorelai getting back together with Luke and also about Rory's um, new dating situation. Mm-hmm. But it's also about um, mothers and daughters and concern for their daughters. And RVs. Yeah. So Luke and Lorelai are back together again the way it should be. Fuck yeah. Hell yes. Thank you, Amy. Yes, they're together and it's great and everyone loves it. Can the show be over now? They're happy. There's so much unresolved, Brian. I know. Kirk is collecting all the pink and blue ribbons that Taylor Dosey made people wear to designate which team they were on during their breakup. Kirk was team Luke. He's got a blue one. And Lulu was team Lorelai. However, it might just be because she loves pink. It's really funny because Kirk yells at her through the window to like give up her pink. And she's like, no, because she likes the color. And he's like, this is bigger than your love of pink. And she just like freaks out. And she's like, no. And she runs off and he chases her. And then later, hilariously, like comes staggering back in, holding her sweater. So he must have like ripped it off to get this. <laughs> And he's just like, oh, out of breath. And he's like, that was hard. She must have stretched first. Super funny. Kirk is so funny this whole episode. If Lulu and Kirk broke up, I feel like everyone would have to wear a blue ribbon. Because, like, Kirk works at every establishment in the town. So you would see Kirk every place you went. You'd have to take the blue. That's interesting. I wonder if there would be a meeting about Kirk and Lulu's relationship. No, everyone would be like, we gotta get rid of Lulu. Kirk runs every business. Kirk, by the way, collects these ribbons for the rest of the episode, leading to some funny moments. Like, later, there's this fucking hilarious scene where an older woman is, like, hurriedly walking out of Luke's bathroom, and Kirk follows her with a ribbon saying, well, if you just put it in the box like I told you, I wouldn't have had to follow you in. That was super funny. 
Kirk is counting the ribbons, and it seems that Lorelai is way ahead in the count, and she decided that they're going to have a contest, and whoever has the most ribbons, meaning had the most people supporting them, the other person will have to buy them dinner. We don't ever see the results of this. Maybe we will in a future episode, but we don't in this one, which is weird. Well, Kirk says that Lorelai is kicking his ass. Right, but then we don't see, like, a win, so it's sort of just a whatever. Turns out, though, that all this ribbon stuff has made Kirk very jealous of Luke and Lorelai's relationship. Late one night in the diner, when Luke is trying to, like, close up, Kirk confides in Luke and tells him that he wishes he and Lulu had a relationship like Lorelai and Luke had, specifically one with sleepovers. He mentions that the only girlfriend he had before Lulu was an imaginary one until the imaginary girl left him, which was also super funny. He's got so many throwaway funny lines. Luke is, like, desperately trying to close up the shop, and Kirk kind of just ropes him into talking about all this. It's all super funny. Luke is like putting chairs on top of the tables and then Kirk just keeps talking about his situation. And Luke says reluctantly as he puts the chair down, apparently I'm officially part of this conversation. I don't know how it happened. So funny. I love when Luke reluctantly helps Kirk because Luke gets mad at people so easily and like yells at them and berates them. But with Kirk, it's like he'll immediately try to be like, I'm not trying to help you, Kirk. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to spend the rest of this episode trying to help you. I'm going out of my way, bending over backwards to help you with your crazy, nonsensical, silly problem. Uh, it makes me like Luke, too, then when he does that. Yeah, because he'll, like, just straight up not deal with Taylor's bullshit, but he's generally willing to help Kirk. Yeah, Taylor is a piece of shit, though, and I don't think Luke thinks Kirk's a piece of shit. I think he, like, feels bad for Kirk a lot of the time. Yeah, Kirk's just, like, the guy that everyone's got in their town that, like, isn't a bad guy, but you don't really like to talk to him, but he's just going to be at, like, everything you go to, so you have to, like, you know, just grin and bear it for, like, a few minutes with them. Yeah. All of this dialogue is funny. Kirk goes on to say that his mother is allergic to Lulu. Like, she cannot stay over because she, like, starts freaking out and getting sick when Lulu's there. So Lulu's trying everything, like changing her soap, perfume, shampoo, cream, rinse, deodorant. And then he says, she's actually kind of a mess right now. So funny. I wonder if that justifies why she was, like, so crazy before when Kirk was trying to get her ribbon. I don't think so. It's not like her diet's messed up or, like, her hormones are messed up. Right, but, like... Why is she so passionate about her pink ribbon? She could just yeah. wear something with pink on it. I think it was just a silly moment. Luke finally was like, Kirk, you just got to grow up and be a man and get your own apartment. You got to move out of your mom's place. Kirk takes that to heart. He's like, lock the door behind you. It just goes to bed. <laughs> Kirk's still in the diner. I thought this was going to be about Kirk's night terrors. Right. Like, that's why he can't be intimate with Lulu or like spend the night with her. But right. it's not. But they also do address that in this episode. Yeah. Kind of. This is like sleepwalking, at least. Speaking of relationships, Rory's relationship with Logan seems to be going great. We cut to them coming home from a play they had just seen together. They seem very happy and very much in their, like, honeymoon phase where they're just, like, so pleased to even be next to each other. Logan just once again casually drops that his parents do stuff like play canasta with famous playwrights that Rory loves. He's super privileged. Speaking of privilege, Logan just happens to have a key to the dining hall where he sneaks Rory in to have some like fun midnight food stealing. Rory is like such a goody two shoes that she like has to leave cash for some of the cereal she steals. It's kind of funny to show the difference. He's like, whatever, money is whatever. But she's like, no, I have to leave some. It's like the right thing to do. It is funny. Like, I don't think I would feel obligated to leave money for cereal or ice cream. That stuff costs like nothing to them. No, especially a university with like it's tons and tons of money. But she has to. It's also interesting because she's worked in the dining hall. Yeah. So she like would know how to swipe a card, like hook up the machine or whatever. Yeah. 
So they seem very, very happy, very flirty. Things are great. However, later in the episode, when Rory is shopping with her mother, they look across the street and see that Logan is on a date with another girl. And he's being very flirty and close to her. Rory is visibly upset by this. She, like, tries to hide it, but you can see it. And Lorelai sees it and is obviously upset as well when she sees Logan across the street. She's kind of like, Logan's a bad person. I can't believe he'd do this to you. But Rory assures her mother that she's fine because they have a casual relationship, one that they've both agreed to. It's college. Yeah, it's college. you got to keep things cash. You can tell Lorelai is not keen on this at all. She thinks it's a bad idea. Specifically... That because she's sleeping with Logan and it shouldn't be casual at that point. Yeah. You can also tell that Rory is bothered, but she's like pretending not to be. Right. Which Lorelai, I'm sure, picks up on. Right. And Lorelai is saying stuff like, yeah, I know what like friends with benefits and stuff is. Like, I get it. But like, you're sleeping with Logan. You clearly like Logan. But Rory, like I said, specifically says like, we've both agreed to this. And then something in Lorelai's head clicks like, okay, this is a decision you've made. I don't like it. But... I have to accept that you've made this decision. And so she sort of reluctantly drops it and they move on. The next day, Logan visits Rory at the school paper, expecting her to be very upset about seeing him with another girl. He's probably had this experience like a dozen times. But she isn't. In fact, to his surprise, she's down to go grab coffee like nothing happened. In fact, she's kind of like, yeah, can you stop talking about it? Like, I don't care. Let's go. So they're great. But then later, when Rory is reading in the cafeteria, Logan's friend Robert shows up, looking like a shark stalking his prey. Honestly, this guy's got like sociopath eyes. <laughs> just just watch the scene. He's looked like a predator. It's funny because later he's dressed like he got bit by a shark. That's true. If you don't remember Robert, we met him at the Life and Death Brigade party. And then we met him again at Logan's dorm. He was playing blackjack or whatever card game they were playing. Which I like because they'd set up at that party that he was like interested in her. Yes. He comes over and asks Rory to Finn's birthday party. She thinks about it for a second and then agrees that she'd like to go. But he seems almost skeptical that she agreed. It's it's interesting because it's like, does he know she has an open relationship with Logan? Or like, was he just like, we'll see what happens here? I don't really understand. Yeah, honestly, it's kind of ballsy of him to ask her. Because I feel like Logan's his alpha, for sure. I don't know. I, I guess I don't know this guy's status, but... I think this guy thinks he's an alpha, too. Logan seems more attractive and richer, but this guy definitely comes from the same background, I'm assuming. But he's got to know this girl's at least somewhat dating Logan, so it's a little complicated for him to ask her. I think this guy's got, like, this This guy thinks he's better than Logan. He might acknowledge that Logan has more money or better looks, but he definitely, I think, thinks he's better than Logan. Just because later he talks about how his whole sole goal in life is to, like, outlive his family, inherit their wealth, and then, like, throw it all away. It seemed like this spiteful, weird angry man i don't know that's like made up nonsense garbage it was so weird it's like two episodes in a row where one of these rich kids has had like this weird life fantasy yeah like that girl that didn't want to eat at the chinese restaurant was right. like i'm gonna marry some poor dude so he doesn't leave me and i was like what you what are these things you think about that's your uh, real mean, goal yeah i don't know if these are the real goals if they're just sort of being funny it's hard to tell but rory's like that's your real goal and he's like yeah yeah she's like you're an interesting he also says that Finn's party is going to be lots of booze, no food whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, that good old Finn. When Rory tells her mom about this over the phone, that she's going with Robert, not Logan, Lorelai seems very skeptical and like slightly disapproving about her dating another guy, once again, because she's sleeping with Logan. She like asks Rory if he knows his last name, and Rory's, she's, uh, well, yeah, of course I do. And then she lies and just makes one up. We find out later when she asks Robert what his last name is. That's kind of cool, because she's like kind of acknowledging her mom was maybe onto something. Right. 
The party, by the way, is a Quentin Tarantino party where anyone can go as any Quentin Tarantino adjacent character. Rory is dressed as Gogo, the schoolgirl assassin from Kill Bill, and Robert is just going as a dead extra, probably from Kill Bill. It's a pretty high body count in that movie. Did you catch that Rory's wearing her Chilton outfit? Uh, I guess I didn't really think about it, no. They mention it because Lorelai's like, oh, because you have the skirt. Right. But girls have skirts like that anyway, I feel like. Yeah, but the jacket she's wearing has the logo on it. It's just her Chilton uniform. I didn't notice that. That's fun. She also has a ball uh, on a chain. Did she get that from Chilton? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need to watch Kill Bill again. I don't remember it. At the party, Finn greets Rory by saying, do I know you? This is apparently a running bit he does just with Rory. You pointed this out to me. I mean, like, they set up that Finn's, like, a crazy alcoholic who, like, probably blacks out all the time and doesn't remember stuff. But he's hung out with Rory too many times for him to actually not know Rory at this point. I think he maybe said it at the Life and Death Brigade thing. Yeah. And I'm almost positive he says it at her grandparents' house. So I, I can't tell if the joke is this is just a bit he does with women or if he is so drunk he doesn't remember her. Well, I, I don't think so because he, he asks her again later at this party. And I think at that point it's like... This has to be intentional. Yeah. It's just kind of a fun bit. Yeah. I mean, he did a sketch about her with Logan in front of her in the class and hung out with her multiple times. There's no way he doesn't know who she is. Yeah, I assume he was somewhat sober for that. I mean, he remembered his lines. Logan, who's at the party with another girl, comes over and acts like everything is cool. While there is also a strong undercurrent of jealousy and tension, and he's letting people know he's not cool with it. What is Logan's costume? He's dressed up as Bruce Willis from Pulp Fiction. Oh, he's a boxer? Yeah. I don't. I also need to rewatch that. I've seen it once, but I've seen I don't that really a couple remember. Times. No one is dressed as Inglorious Bastards, which is the one I remember the most. That might have come out after this. It did. I was joking. No. He is clearly upset that Robert is on a date with Rory. I think he's kind of upset with Robert. Kind of like, you really are coming over to my heron and trying to pluck out my girls? Like, that's the, the sense I get. That he's like, wow, Robert would do this. Do you know if... Logan is there with the same girl he was on the coffee shop date with? I don't know. I couldn't tell. I couldn't she's tell you awesome. She, yeah, she has like a wig on at the party, I think. Robert does seem charming, but like I said earlier, like definitely like a sociopath. Like he hates his family and like he's, I don't know. I don't know why. I like remember Robert pretty well. Like I, I feel like when I saw him at the Life and Death Brigade, I was like, I feel a whole something about your face. Like I don't know if I think he's attractive or what. I just am like, there's something interesting about you. There's also a running thing where he keeps trying to get drinks for Rory and Rory keeps saying stuff like nothing too boozy or like limiting how much she drinks, which is just a smart thing for a woman to do at a party. But I almost was like, are you saying that like Robert specifically is trying to give you a lot of booze? That happened more than once? Yeah. When they walk in, he asks her if she wants a shot because he takes a shot immediately. Mm. And she's like, no, I'd like to like come in for a minute before I get a drink. And then later he's getting her a drink and she's like nothing too boozy. Yeah, she does get drunk, but, like, she seems selective about it. Yeah, I mean, I think she's just a smart girl. Like, she'll get drunk sometimes, but sometimes she's like, I'm not just going to get wasted at the beginning of a party for no reason, especially on my, like, first date with this guy. Rory will get drunk again, don't worry. What? While he goes to get her a not-too-boozy drink, Logan saunters over and is trying to act like everything's cool and hold back and hide his jealousy, but then he just starts mentioning how Robert is kind of a jerk, and he thinks Robert's a jerk. Has she noticed that he seems like a jerk? It's crazy and funny to me how annoyed Logan is. Like, I understand feeling this way, right? Like, you don't want this girl that you like to be taken from you, but you've already set up the rules, so you can't act like it bothers you. It's almost like I kind of don't believe this part, where Logan is just actively, openly showing that he's upset and jealous. I hear that, 
It occurs to me, though, that he is drinking. Like, I actually think he plays this fantastically because he's just, like, aggressively drinking his cup of ice. Yeah. (laughs) While he's telling her all this, like, he's so jealous. And he just, like, keeps throwing back more ice. (laughs) Yeah. It could be because he's drunk. Like, he feels more comfortable saying that he's jealous. Like, sober, he probably would play it more cool or pretend it didn't bother him. Yeah, I don't know. I just, a guy that's just, like, prideful, it just seemed weird to me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I do think he acted very drunk well, but I I don't know. I think he's used to dating random women, but he really likes Rory. Yeah, I hear that. And she looks hot in her little outfit. I mean, she does. I don't know. I just, I thought it was funny the way he was drinking his ice. Yeah, like almost chewing at it like he's grind mashing his teeth because he's upset. Yeah, and then when he pulls her aside in a second, he's just like vibrating. Like his hormones are just like shaking his whole body for her. Yeah. Eventually, Logan just says the quiet part out loud and says he's hypocritically bothered by the fact that she's there with Robert. And he's also bothered by the fact that it's bothering him. So that line kind of lets us know that he does conceptually think it's fine that some girlfriend he's with is with another person. And maybe in the past, that has been the case where he was casually dating a girl. She's with somebody else. That's fine. But he's bothered specifically that he's being bothered by this. So I think you're right that he's having feelings for Rory he did not anticipate he was going to have. Yeah, he's not used to this. He just starts, like, kissing her aggressively, and she's a little bit like, I don't know about this, but she clearly does want to kiss him pretty bad. But he's like, we got to go. Let's get out of here. Let's run away. Let's go somewhere else, just the two of us. He bitches going to New York to stay in the plaza. I was like, go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, do it. This night's going to be great. Robert might kill you. Do it. Yeah, fuck Robert. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I'd be like, you're paying for the plaza? Okay, let's go. That's just sounds so romantic. Yeah. She shuts him down. She's like, no, you set up the rules. Like, I'm on a date with someone else. So are you. Goodbye. Can we talk about this party? I thought it was cool. Sure, yeah. There's a lot of cool Quentin Tarantino references. A lot to Pulp Fiction specifically, but to other ones too. Yeah, Finn's dressed as John Travolta. Yes. And the scene ends with him and another woman we don't know dressed as Uma Thurman doing like yeah. the dance that they do. Yeah. I rewatched that scene from Pulp Fiction. It's very weird. Did they win the contest? I don't remember. They're at some restaurant and she wants to enter this contest. And he's like, okay. And they just like dance for like three minutes. But the YouTube clip cuts out. I don't see if they won. Let us know. But yeah, I I thought the costumes and everything were cool. They were playing all music from Quentin Tarantino movies. Yeah. This episode also has a very fun Michelle slash Dragonfly subplot. Super funny. A photographer from American Travel Magazine is coming to the Dragonfly to photograph them for an article on the top 10 inns in Connecticut. Big deal. Everyone is super excited about it. That's exciting. Yeah. Lorelai has like rearranged and unarranged all the furniture over and over again. And Sugi is like putting cakes on every surface in the yeah. <laughs> in the inn to spruce it up. This is where leather-bound books come in. Yes. They used to have a lot of old classic books that were leather-bound, and they're all gone. And what has happened is people have come into the inn and taken them home and replaced them with their, like, airline books. So they have, like, 12 copies of He's Just Not That Into You. That's why I think it just, like, could be a connection. Because, like, this really wasn't important to the plot at all. Right. It just seemed like an excuse to mention something from Buffy. But, again, we're looking for things. Yeah. Well, there's, there's another connection, kind of. We'll see. Oh, I don't know what that is. It's not really a connection, but I'm going to mention it and pretend it is. Okay. So Michelle shows up with like a page of hilarious dialogue. (laughs) He is back from his trip in California. He got Lorelai a smog globe as opposed to a snow globe. It's got smog in it, which is funny. He got Suki the book, He's Just Not That Into You, uh, which is funny. 
he keeps talking about places he went and like famous people he saw. He got like Botox by someone who like did Botox on famous people. Lorelai jokingly asks him if he got his boobs done by the same person who did Pamela Anderson's and he deadpan completely seriously says, no, but I did meet him at the coffee bean. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Both shows say boobs. Yeah. Is that what you're going to say? The both things say boobs, both episodes? Yeah. Willow mentions boobs, Lorelai mentions boobs, but that's not it. Okay. Michelle goes on to say he's got some big news. He was at some farmer's market, just sitting there, minding anybody's business. So fucking funny that he says that. So true, Michelle, minding everybody else's business. Mm -hmm. And a man approached him and asked him to be in The Price is Right, where he ended up winning $100,000 worth of cash and prizes. Mainly, though, this is just going to be a giant RV. We'll get to that later. Suki calls him out on this. She's like, well, hold on. Jackson has a cousin who wanted to do this. And he says that, like, the contestants usually have to wait and audition and stand in a line and act super enthusiastic and have, like, funny T-shirts just to be on TV. And Michelle's like, well, maybe I was, like, waving and jiggling and stuff. But it made me wonder if, like, this is all a lie. And he, like, went there and stood in line and did the whole thing. Oh, I think that's what's implied because he's like, yeah. oh, I may have done a little jumping because I think that is true. I've heard that you like have to prove that you'd be a good fit for the show. Right. You want to be entertaining to watch. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think he's just like downplaying it. I think he intentionally went there. But he's really excited for this hundred thousand dollars worth of prizes, although he's not going to get what he wants. When the photographer arrives, he sets out outside to get some exterior shots. He says, like, we don't have much sun. Let's go set up outside. Meanwhile, Michelle's on the phone arguing with somebody. He's like, I want to talk to your manager. He's like very upset that somebody's going to do something. We'll see what. I want to admit, he is so mad. He says like, I'm sharpening sticks to make them pointy and I'm going to start sticking you with them. And I was like, that's the Buffy reference right there. Oh, I mean, it's there not was though. no stakes in this episode, as you yeah. mentioned. Yeah, because well, they were in this episode. Mm. That's a pretty light connection. Okay, guys, I will admit that's a stretch. But Lulu stretched. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Turns out the Price is Right people are going to drop off the RV at the end. That's what's going to happen. And Michelle's right like, please don't. Yeah, he's like, don't do it. Not now, not now. They're like, yeah, it's coming. And he's like, don't, don't, don't. They're like, we don't care. So while the photographer's setting up, this giant RV comes in and parks outside, and there's nothing they can do about it. Just like right in front of the end that they're about to photograph. Yeah. The situation is this. Michelle can take the RV, which is worth $100,000, or he could just take half of that in cash. And he's, like, very much stubborn about this. He's like, no, I won $100,000. I'm not taking $50,000. Suki says, and this is so funny, that Jackson's cousin, who won a washer-dryer, returned it for half its cash value, dot, 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 because he likes to go to the laundry to pick up women. (laughs) It's like a quick throwaway line. Very funny. This poor RV delivery guy is trying to be super nice. He's like, uh, do you want me to show you how to use this, Michelle? It's kind of tricky. And Michelle's like too angry to deal with this. He's like, no, no. He's so angry. This poor guy then says like, all right, well then have a nice day. And Michelle says, drop dead. And then we'll discuss it. Like He needs to drop dead to discuss maybe Michelle having a good day. That's so funny. I love the Suki washer dryer thing because it was yeah. like. I mean, she's going to have to say the reason yeah. why he didn't take the money. And I like just wasn't expecting it to be the reason that it was. Right. It also made me wonder if it was Nick Offerman's character. But I think that's Jackson's brother. But we set up that the Nick Offerman character is like kind of creepy to women. Yeah. But I think it's not the same guy. Is it Rune? Unfortunately, it seems they only had about 45 seconds before that sun disappeared. And the magazine photographer says, by the time this RV is moved and the dust is settled, so there won't be enough sunlight for the exterior photographs. This is stupid. Did this guy show up like literally like four minutes before the sun was going down to get this done? 
I bet there is like a window where the sun's perfect and it's maybe not long, but it's got to be longer than five minutes. Yeah. Or you want to set up before that window. So you have the whole window. Yeah. I guess it's also like the end doesn't move. So you probably only need like two clicks. Right. It's not like you can take a ton of different photos of what you want to get. Yeah. Obviously, Lorelai is very upset about this and she's very upset at Michelle for ruining this opportunity. So she like really lets him have it. And she's like, you know, I don't expect you to like be too helpful, but like I expect you not to like totally mess everything up. And she just like lays into him and then like walks away. Sugi then points out to Lorelai that he can be really mean and like he can dish a lot of meanness out, but he's like super sensitive. He cannot take it at all. Lorelai, when Sugi points out that Michelle is sensitive, she says something like, afraid of me? Of kitten? It was really weird. Yeah, I noticed that. But there, there, what's even weirder, okay? Does she think she's a cat in this episode? Well, the reason I'm at, that's so weird is beginning the episode when she's talking to Luke earlier. Yeah, we did she, not talk about this, but it's so weird. She like meows at him kind of for no reason. Yeah, when they're talking about the ribbons, Luke says something and she's like, wow. So I don't know. Yeah, she's going to like, a, she's slow, is she going to slowly become a cat? Is that the subplot this season? It's like they cut a scene where she's like, I'm going to role play as a cat for a couple of days. Is that cool? Yeah, it's so weird. Like, what? Huh? I thought the meow was very weird. And it then this was. was like, that meow wasn't just a non sequitur. We're going somewhere with this. I'm so glad you noticed this as well. We did not discuss this. Yeah, it was weird. So Lorelai feels bad about this, and she finds Michelle outside trying to sell off his RV to a bunch of, like, old folks. I I don't know how he arranged for this, like, gaggle of geriatric interested people to show up so quickly, but he did. They're all there. Well, Michelle's about to take a very low offer from some old guy when Lorelai steps in and then tries to, like, upsell this thing hard to these people. It's pretty funny because she has no idea what she's talking about. She's trying to make it sound really nice. She's all like, yeah, this has got wall-to-wall wallpaper that accents the maple-ish paneling. Yeah. Apparently, Michelle hadn't thought to show them the inside. (laughs) Yeah, they they were just going to buy it without even looking. It could be covered in shit inside. The shit that Jinx wiped off of Glory's ass. Yeah, and he keeps it in there. He loves it. You paid $200,000 for that. Lorelai apologizes to Michelle, and he's such a little baby bitch about it. He really is. Just like a little puppy with his tail between his legs. Just like a doc with his tail between his legs. Right, just a regular old doc with his tail between his legs. But she convinces him that he needs to sell it for a lot more and just like really get these rubes to pay out of pocket for it. And so he does. And they have a lot of funny names for these people. Like he keeps referring to his backup lady as the elastic waist pants woman. I kind of liked the way that Lorelai fixed things because she'd sort of like charmed him. It was like she knew what he needed to hear to to feel better. It wasn't like a straight apology. It was just like she played to his weak spots. Yeah. And she specifically says, and you know, I know that I couldn't run this place without you. Like, I don't think she was lying, but I, I just, she she knows Michelle. That was yeah. cute. Yeah. I haven't talked about this yet, but Luke and Lorelai also have their first post-reconciliation date. I should mention, at the top of the episode, she comes in looking for coffee. And she has a coffee from Weston's. Well, like a latte. Right. Well, I was going to say, he's like, want some coffee? And she says, say that again slower with your pants off. <laughs> That's a funny line. <laughs> Uh, she is really excited for this date. Obviously, Lucas too. But she's like trying to find the perfect dress to wear. It's kind of funny. She's on the phone with Rory and she's like, is this dress too slutty? She's like, no, no. But the person in it, I thought that was funny. It is a little sexy. It is a little sexy. It's very boobacious. They've had sex multiple times. I know, but it's a, she's, it's a sexy dress. Yeah. And Luke has not been subtle with the fact that he notices sexy dresses. Their first date is pretty cute. Super cute. Well, pretty cute. It's super cute because they're both really awkward and unsure how to start the date when he shows up at her place. And this scene mirrors their first first date. 
and it's great, and they're awkward and super happy together, and I love it. And Amy, please, just keep them together. Amy, come on, please. Yeah, I feel like there's been several times where it's, like, unclear if they should meet at his car or if he should come to the door. Like, when he picked up the wedding, there was, like, confusion. Yeah. And then same, yeah, with their real first date. Here's maybe another unintentional connection. This episode has a weird edit, too, I think. It cuts from their, like, cute, sweet, awkward, how-do-we-date moment to them getting into his truck. Yeah. It's just a strange, because they don't normally cut to, like, two seconds later. Yeah. Like, they have that moment, there's music, and then they're in his truck. I was confused at first. I thought this was, like, later in the evening, like, they'd gone to dinner already or something. But they are just, like, still in her yard getting into his truck. It's just, like, not how the show normally would operate. Right. When she gets in the truck, they kind of talk about how she's missed him being in his life. And she notices that he bought, like, a reggae CD, and she gives a bunch of shit for this. But, like, I don't really understand this. He, like, bought it at a gas station because it was cheap. What? I could see him doing that. Yeah, I, I guess. I a CD. I'm at a place where they sell CDs. I might as well grab a CD. Did he need a CD? Well, anyway. Does this truck have a CD player? We know it's got a tape player. Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, it must. Yeah. And then later, he's like, turn it off. They keep playing the same song over and over. She's like, that was not the same song. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Which makes me like, did he listen to it at all? Anyway. Yeah, probably not. When they get back from their date, to their mild surprise, they find... Kirk sleeping naked in the garage, in Luke's boat specifically. He wakes up, looks down at himself, looks back up, and then just says, I'm exposed. (laughs) (laughs) There's a bunch of funny stuff here. Like, Luke grabs a shovel because he thinks there might be a raccoon, and Lorelai's like, don't use the shovel on a raccoon. How could you do that? No, don't. It's a cute thing. Until she gets closer, and then she's like, shovel up, shovel up. (laughs) Kirk finds a towel, and then he explains that he was just following Luke's advice. Luke's so funny in this scene. Yeah, he's all like, wait, that's not what I said. His just, like, face acting is very funny. Yeah. Luke, earlier in the episode, told Kirk that he's going to have to be an adult and move out, so Kirk did. He made a big speech to his mom about moving out and becoming an adult, so he left his keys and then left. But then he realized he didn't have anywhere to go. He's doing this again so he can have an adult relationship with Lulu with sleepovers and everything. So Lorelai's like, fine, you can sleep in Rory's room. For a moment, I was like, that's kind of crazy because he's got night terrors, but they don't drop that off (laughs) It makes me wonder if, like, that means Luke's not going to get lucky tonight. That's what it means, right? Because Luke seems very upset that they're bringing him inside. It does indicate that. But then later when Rory asks how the slutty dress went, Lorelai's like, it went great. So they must have just, you know, pushed through. Yeah. I guess if Kurt comes in, you're like, "Eh, you're just having a night terror, man. (laughs) In the kitchen, though, there's kind of the sweet and funny scene where Lorelai starts opening up to Luke about her issues with Rory right now dating several men. While she's saying all this, Luke gets some ice cream out and he gets some bowls out and she sees the bowls and she's like, who's going to wash those? So he puts the bowls away and gets two spoons for them to eat out of the carton with. And she's like, we don't have plastic. So then he goes back and gets two plastic spoons and she's all like, these tend to break. You're going to want more. So he gets more. It's funny because he just like kind of goes with it without complaining, really. Yeah. She's also like fiddling on her phone or something at the same time. It's just. Yeah. It's a well choreographed scene. Yeah. Lorelai explains to Luke that she's struggling with how much she should be telling Rory how she feels about her new relationship choices. She goes on to say that, like, she used to be able to play the mom card if she needed to, and Rory would have to listen to her, but Rory doesn't have to listen to her anymore. And sometimes stuff like this happens where she thinks Rory's making a mistake. She thinks Rory is doing something that will not make Rory happy, and she's struggling with how much to say to Rory about it. And I feel like this scene is amazing. Yeah. Because it shows us the difference between Lorelai and her mother. Lorelai thinks that Rory is making a mistake and does not agree with her choices. 
Lorelai understands the concept of friends with benefits, right? Like, I don't know that Lorelai is necessarily against friends with benefits. She just knows Rory very well and knows that this concept does not really work with Rory and how Rory feels. Yeah. The idea just doesn't jive with Rory. It just wouldn't work for her. Ultimately, though, she lets Rory make her own decisions about life and relationships. She tells Luke that she doesn't know how much to say to her daughter, but I feel like Lorelai has communicated to her daughter, like, yeah, I don't know that I like this choice, but she hasn't, like thrown that in her face and been a fight. She's just kind of communicated to her, like, I don't know that I love this. So she says to Luke, like, you know, I don't know what I can say, but I feel like she's she has done the right thing. She's like, eh, I don't know about this, but yeah, it's, it's your life. She just doesn't want to harp on it because she doesn't want to push her away because she knows what it's like to literally be pushed away. You could tell she wants to tell Rory that she needs to demand monogamy from Logan or break up with him, but she doesn't do that. This is the opposite of Emily. Emily sees her daughter making choices that she disagrees with, and she works to make different choices for her daughter. She just is like, no, my daughter's making the wrong choices, and it's not her life. It's my life. I tell my daughter how she's supposed to live. Not just I tell her. I make her life that way. She does the even more cowardly thing by, like, trying to manipulate events behind her daughter's back to get the outcome she wants without ever telling her daughter, without even giving her daughter the agency to make her own choices with the new information Emily gave her. And that's cowardly, honestly. I just feel like this is such a great scene to show us that Lorelai's relationship with her daughter is so much better than Emily's relationship with Lorelai. And it shows us that Lorelai is a much, much better mother than Emily is. And it was sweet that she like talked it through with Luke. I mean, it was like how she was feeling delivered in a nice, natural way. Yeah. Luke's like, you just tell your daughter. But it's kind of funny. I want to be like, Luke, your parenting experience has not been stellar. So (laughs) I would say so. And also like the way men communicate, not universally, but can be much different than the way that women tend to communicate. So I feel like. Yeah, Luke's never had a daughter. Yeah. (laughs) And then this beautiful scene is interrupted. by. It's made even more beautiful with Kirk walking out of Rory's bedroom, just in a sheet and then out for the front door. He's not screaming. No, it's so funny because Lorelai is like not looking at him. She's looking thoughtfully at Luke and Luke is just not trying to react. It's, I just I can't imagine the actor isn't about to break. Like he's got to be wanting to laugh. And then he just follows Kirk out the front door. She's like, did we lock the front door? And he's like, I'll be right back. And then chases after Kirk because Kirk is having a night terror, obviously. That was all very sweet and I loved it. That's not the end of the episode. We also get a very abbreviated Friday night dinner this time. Rory shows up at Friday night dinner, sans Lorelai, and it's clear that Emily and Richard had expected Lorelai to come as well. Because Emily fixed everything. Yeah, because Emily fixed everything last episode. When Rory sees an extra plate at the table, she asks if they thought Lorelai was coming. Emily's like, no, 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 the, the maid made a mistake. So she's fired. It's very funny. To be fair, Olympia did mess up the timing of the salad, so she was destined yeah, to be fuck leaving. fuck Olympia. Olympia yeah. really messed up this whole night. Yeah, that's mostly her fault. It is kind of funny. I, I feel like at this point in the show, they are being really meta about Emily fires her mates. Yeah, totally. Or like it's, it's become a joke. Yeah. Friday night dinner seems to go well. It seems that Rory was pleasant this time. We don't know, though, because we don't really see it. But Richard does say, like, what a pleasant evening. So I'm guessing it went fine and she was nice. As soon as Rory leaves, though, Emily is furious. We don't get a lot of post-Friday night dinner from Richard and Emily's perspective. No, but she is furious that Lorelai didn't come. Because she's, like you said, she fixed everything. Richard, by the way, super supportive and patient with Emily this episode. She is, like, really snippy with him. While all he's doing is trying to help her. He, like, pours her a drink, listens to her, supports her, even refreshes her drink at some point. But she slams. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's like, Logan at a party. 
It's a pretty full drink. We see her take like three sips of it by the end of the scene. He's getting her another one. Yeah. I think it is crazy. I mean, like legitimately crazy of Emily to assume Lorelai was going to come back to dinner. Yeah. Like her logic was she told Luke to get back together with Lorelai. They must have gotten together. Yeah. Lorelai has forgiven her. I feel like then Lorelai would call her and be like, thank you for getting us back together, mom. Yeah, absolutely. She's assuming so much. She's assuming one that Luke went back to Lorelai, which we don't know happened. She doesn't know happened. Right. Which she could have checked, but she doesn't know happened. She just assumes that happened. For all we know, they had a fight that started with Emily, but then... Lorelai said something to Luke that was like, well, I'm never going back to you because you said my dick was small or something like that. But then, two, she's also assuming that Lorelai forgave Emily for doing this. It's kind of like spite, really. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Like, assuming this grand gesture. Oh, sure. Will win back the heart of the woman they're trying to woo. Emily trying to woo Lorelai, Spike trying to woo Buffy. It's like, it's like Emily's like, well, I fixed the thing that's really upsetting you. But it's like the action is also upsetting. Like, if I killed somebody, if I killed your mother and you're, like, upset, and I was like, okay, I'll bring her back to life using one of Willow's spells, and I do, you wouldn't be like, oh, it's cool that you killed my mother. Yeah, you might kill my mother again. Yeah. But if I'm like, I promise not to kill your mother again, you're not going to believe me. So I feel like Emily's, like, whole thought process here is absurd, and I don't feel bad for her at all. This is the bed she made. She's got to sit in it. Like a fat fish. (laughs) Like a fat fish. You know, maybe Luke didn't go back to Lorelai because he doesn't want to be with someone whose mom is a crazy psycho. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of his main reason for breaking up with her is that he didn't want to deal with her mom, more so than the Christopher stuff. Yeah, and why would he even believe her, like, reluctant, condescending promise that she won't meddle in the relationship she disapproves of? I mean, whatever. Or they might be back together, but, like, having major trust issues because of what she exposed. Yeah, Richard says to Emily that she gave it her best effort. No one can say you didn't. But uh, she did not give it her best effort. I will say differently, okay? She did not apologize to anyone. She did not apologize to Luke. She did not apologize to her daughter. She just admitted defeat, but still clung to this moral superiority. Yeah. Like, she's only here because you guys are all idiots and you refuse to do what's right. And I have to stoop to your level because I don't have a choice. Like, that's her attitude. It wasn't like I made a mistake and I feel bad about it that I hurt you. The big takeaways from this are they assume that they must not have gotten back together, and that's the problem. Yeah. And that Richard's a sweetie pie. Yeah. He's supporting a monster. That maybe makes him a monster, too, but it's sweet the way he knows what she needs. I think the show is, is good in that it's telling us two things about Richard. One, that he is not the same man he was a season ago. He has grown and is trying to show his wife that he supports her, and he's not taking her for granted like he did. But it's also showing us that he is in the same mindset of her, which is not the right mindset, that he should be able to control his daughter's life. Yeah, I I think he's just like less aggressive about it. He's more just like, how can we fix this as far as like, I'm not going to go have a whole public confrontation about it. Right. And they set up earlier where she tried to break them up. He was just like, how can we rehabilitate Luke to be an acceptable partner? Richard and Emily are both monsters. Like they... They're not doing the right thing. But I also forgive them slightly because they think they're doing the right thing. Like, they don't know any better. But Emily's much more aggressive about it than Richard. Well, he didn't try to talk her out of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, they've both done some some awful things. But they also, like, that's all they know. Yeah. Richard's mother's awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
So a furious Emily just angrily barges into Luke's, cranked up to 11, just yelling and screaming at him. Her first line when she walks in is, What on earth is wrong with you besides the obvious lack of a fashion sense? Jesus, lady. What? She later says apparently you can't follow through with anything, not even a razor. <laughs> yeah. It's awful, but it's all pretty well-written, funny stuff. Yeah, that's uh, what Richard told him to do was like franchise your business and shave. Uh-huh. She just starts berating him, like just going to town. He doesn't even have a, t- a chance to talk. We should mention that there's a quick scene earlier in the episode where Lorelai programs Luke's phone to have her number is speed dial and shows him how to use it. That was funny. She's like, you should really learn how to lo- use this thing. It'll revolutionize your life. It's just like, Lorelai, you have no idea what phones will be able to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> just like five more years, yeah. this phone's nothing. So he just stands there and he's just taking this abuse from Emily. And he takes out his phone, speed dials Lorelai and sets the phone down. So she picks it up and then hears her mother and just rushes over to Luke's. Like, what's going on? We just want you out of our lives. And Emily's like, oh, you're together? And she's very momentarily happy to find out they're back together. But specifically, she says, like, you did it. You did exactly what I told you to do. Which, again, is just telling us that Emily, this is all about Emily. But then she's like, well, if you guys are back together, I don't understand why you won't come to Friday night dinner. Because, you know, she, Emily, obviously fixed their problem. Emily tries to explain why she did what she did, but then Lorelai just, like, shuts her down. She's like, you know what? If I wanted your input in my life in any way, shape, or form, I will ask for it. Until then, do us both a favor and shut up. Shut up. Emily takes that shut up like a punch to the fucking face. You see it hit her in the face. Even before that, Lorelai shut her down with just, like, a mom. <laughs> she, like... Right, and, and Emily's all like, Lorelai, but this shut up is like, just like face melts. Yeah, she doesn't she just, to say. Yeah, her face drops, she is silent, she clutches her purse, and she just walks out without a word. Again, beautiful face acting by Scott Patterson. He's just like eating all this in the back, trying not to say anything. Yeah. Luke's like, I'm a big fan of the speed dial, but then he touches her hand because he knows this is hard for Lorelai. Yeah, this is a very minimal way to say it. they're there, like, young lady. I, I liked it, though. I feel like yeah. it was very, very kind. Yeah. He's just, like, going to let her process that for a second. Yeah. They'll have ice cream about it later. Lorelai goes back to the end where Rory calls and tells her that Logan has made tons of plans with her for the weekend after she made him jealous at that party. So, like, all's well because I went on this date with Robert. She mentions that Lorelai seems kind of down. She's like, what's wrong? And Lorelai's like, oh, nothing's wrong. But it isn't clear to me exactly. Is she upset because of a confrontation with her mom? Which I assume is the case. But also, I was like, or are you upset about Rory's situation with Logan? I took it as Logan. But she just had that big blowout with her mom. So I was like, it could go either way for me. Yeah, you're right. But I I took it like she's pretending what Rory's saying is interesting and cool and normal. But like we can tell that Lorelai's still concerned about it. Yeah. I didn't even think about her mom, but it could be that too. I mean, she just had that blowout. So it's, it's unclear. Uh, The final scene of the episode has Michelle going out to the RV to measure something for a buyer, only to find a, you guessed it, naked Kirk sleeping in there. I feel like we, I mean, I've seen it. I didn't remember, though, but we were both like, it's Kirk, right? Kirk's in there. Yeah. As soon as he's going in there, it's like, Kirk's in there. It's where he is. Apparently, he also asked Rory if he could stay in her dorm. Yeah. So, Stacey, do you think this is a good episode of Gilmore Girls? I don't know that it's like one of the greats, but I did really enjoy it. Yeah. I loved so many of the scenes. Like, Luke and Lorelai's scenes were all so nice. Like, their new first date interaction was great. I love the ice cream scene. We talked about that. I thought the Quentin Tarantino party was cool. Yeah. That was just, like, a fun, stylistic thing that they did. Yeah. And 
yeah, Logan was maybe being hypocritical. I, I don't know, though. I think it was showing some growth in him, and I really like the way that the actors portrayed that scene. Like, there's so much passion between them. Yeah. I liked Logan. I, I liked the way the actor portrayed the jealousy. I thought that was, like, hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was funny. All the Michelle stuff was really funny. It was very funny. All the Michelle stuff was very funny. This show has so many quick lines that are just hilarious. I love seeing Emily and Richard, like, post-dinner. We usually cut to Rory and Lorelai outside. We don't usually stay with Emily and Richard, so that was kind of a fun choice to see their notes on the evening. And that confrontation at the end was great. Yeah. I was, like, delighted the whole way through. Yeah, it was a great episode. Like I said, though, it's not a particularly, like, memorable one as a whole. Right. I mean, Emily's insane, but, I mean, whatever. It just all really worked for me. So, Brian, which episode do you think was better? Well, you know what? I don't want to do this, but I think Pulp Friction was better. I think so, too. I wasn't sure, honestly. Going into this, I was like, we'll talk through it, and then I'll know. But I think I loved mostly everything about Gilmore Girls, and there was just a few things that bothered me about Buffy. But the beginning and end of Buffy are so good. Yeah, I know. It's tough, but I just... I That demon was just so shitty looking. And unnecessary. And so, like shoehorned in. I was like, this just kind of ruins it for me. And I mean, I get I get that Dawn would be upset. I get it. But it just wasn't particularly enjoyable to watch her be like a stubborn brat. Yeah. But I don't I don't want to call her that either because she's like going through something awful. Yeah. It just seemed and, and Willow's behavior, honestly, it was like kind of crazy. But I love Doc. Yeah, so it's tough because like you said, the beginning and the end were very good. It was just there was like a little slump there in the middle. So but I'm gonna go Gilmore. I've been going Gilmore a lot this season, but I mean I'm just telling you how I feel. I feel like Buffy's going to have a big end of season arc, though. Uh, I cannot deny or confirm that. Okay, A lot of stuff needs to happen. Check with my doc. Over in Sunnydale. I know doc's coming back for sure. Doc is not. Why do you keep bringing him up? There's so many questions about doc that remain to be answered that Spike is not asking. Oh, he should be asking some questions. Well, I guess we just got to keep watching. If you want to watch along, next week we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 5, Episode 18, To Live and Let Diorama. Mm, as well as Bob the Vampire Slayer Season 5, Episode 18, Intervention. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. What did you think about the jealousy Logan was feeling? Did it seem genuine? Did it seem overacted? What do you think? What do you think about Willow just like enabling Dawn to try some dangerous magic? What do you think of Robert? Is he cool? Or is he kind of a jerk? Did you recognize that Giles was listening to the same song that was in Band Candy? Is Lorelai upset with Rory's news about her dating life, or is she still upset about her recent interaction with Emily? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer. We post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. For more bonus content, find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacey, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live streamed watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. And shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Ryan and Tyla Dahl Monroe. Thank you. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacey. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode description or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Do you want to watch Stranger Things again? Yeah, I do. Now? Let's do it. Then we'll watch Buffy and Gilmore. It's going to be a long night. It is. But we have each other. And Kirk. Kirk? He's in the bedroom. Kirk is in the bedroom? Yeah, he is. Still hasn't found anywhere to sleep. Bye!